Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, when I was about seven or eight years old, I think it was about my seventh birthday party, we were um, celebrating with family and friends and people came over and it came to that time in the birthday party that the birthday boy cares most about, the opening of presents. And so uh, I began opening presents and I opened this one present in particular and it comes from a friend of mine. And I opened up, I was so excited because it was a G.I. Joe action figure. It was, you know, the one I had been wanting. So I was so excited as I looked at it. I couldn't wait to, to play with it. But there were still some more gifts to open. And I was excited to do that because who knew? Maybe there would be some more G.I. Joes or other things that I could ultimately play with. Well, the next gift that was placed in front of me was not so much a gift, at least in my mind. It was a card. You know, as a seven-year-old, getting a card is such an exciting thing. And so I, I got the card and... And I opened it, and in it was a, a lovely note from my grandparents. And, uh, and inside that was a little piece of, of paper. It was a check to me. And uh, you can imagine, I saw that piece of paper and the check, which was for $25. And I, and I looked at it, and I did what the polite boy I was raised you know, to do. I smiled at my grandparents, and I said, thank you. And I quickly wanted to grab the next gift. Uh, you know, to me, I wanted to get back to seeing, am I getting more G.I. Joes? Am I getting things? But what did I get, church? I just gotten from my grandparents a check for, for $25. That G.I. Joe figurine that my friend had bought for me at the time was about 5 or $6. And I was so excited to have that G.I. Joe figurine. The reality was, though, that the check for $25 could have bought anywhere from four to five other G.I. Joe figurines. Church, which gift was the greater of the two gifts? It was, it was the $25 check, yet for me as a kid, I was just like, thanks, Grandma and Grandpa, and then, ah, you know, start opening up other gifts. My inability to really understand what I held in my hands that morning kept me from being really able to, to give the, the, the praise and the thanksgiving to my grandparents because they didn't really realize what I had been giving. That wasn't on my grandparents, that was on, that was on me. Today we're going to come back as a church to the book of Ephesians. And this is going to be a section of God's word where my hope for us 
is that we would really work to understand what it is that God's word has to say to us. Because if we really get it, if we understand, if we don't let our minds try to impose upon it what we want, we're gonna come away with a greater understanding and our hearts are gonna be moved in some powerful ways. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, open them up to Ephesians chapter one. If you don't have a Bible, there's some in the seats in front of you. Love for you to have, that's kind of our gift to you. As you turn there to the book of Ephesians, it's in the New Testament. This book book ultimately is a letter, although we call it the Bible, it's, it's not a biography and it's not a novel, it's actually a letter written from the Apostle Paul to believers in the ancient city of Ephesus, people that he knew very well. He spent three years with them almost, pastoring them, sharing the gospel in that city. And the fruit of his labors that God did in and through him was that people got saved in this city that was very materialistic that was very religious and kind of mystical in, in nature. And so these people who were from a very pagan background eventually come to embrace Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. And so here's Paul writing to them this letter these some years later. And the message of this book is that God has created a, a new people. The new people that are referred to in this book is ultimately the church. And, and this new people, they are to display in the world what it means to be God's people. And we're to do that all for the praise and glory of his name. So, so the book of Ephesians is Paul really saying, let me explain to you who you now are in and through Jesus Christ and what it looks like for you and I to actually live that out in the world. Once you were this way, now you're this way. And if you've looked at the book at all, remember I encourage you to go ahead and read through it. The book really divides into two parts, chapters 1 through three are really all about Paul laying the foundation for us to say, this is the work that God has done for you. This is what has happened to you. Here's the new life that you have. And then chapters four through six are really Paul then expounding, saying, in light of who you are, in light of what God's done, here's how you are to live. And so that's how the book of Ephesians kind of works itself out. But today we're beginning right here at the start. We're getting into the body of the letter. Verses one and two talk about who the author and the recipients of this letter are, but now we actually get to the meat of it, and it starts in verse three. So are you ready to learn? Are you ready to grow? I hope that you are, because God has something to say to us. It begins with these words. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul begins his letter with a proclamation. And the reason why I say that this is a proclamation is because this first word here, the word blessed, it is an adjective in the Greek. It's used only eight times in the entire New Testament. And every time that it's used, it's used about God. And it's an adjective, not a verb. It's describing the state in which God, well, what he deserves. It's not saying that God is a blessed individual, like, oh, bless you. That's not what he's saying here. He's saying God is one who deserves, who is worthy of praise and adoration. So he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is making a call here. He's describing for us what God deserves, what God should receive from us, his people. Ephesians chapter 1 Verse three, it begins with a proclamation. What is that proclamation? Our God is to be praised. If you're taking notes, that's the proclamation of Ephesians chapter one, verse 
3. And in the subsequent verses here, what you're going to see is Paul's going to do something. He doesn't just simply come and he makes this proclamation, but from this verse all the way through verse 14, Paul is going to extrapolate for us exactly why it is that the God we come here today to worship, the God who had saved and redeemed the Ephesians is worthy of praise. Why? From your heart and my heart, out of our lips to God's ears, praise should come. Paul is going to work that through. In fact, here's a fascinating thing. Verses 3 through 14 are one sentence in the Greek. One sentence comprised of 202 words. That's what we call in English grammar a run-on sentence, okay? Like your English teacher wouldn't accept that sentence, but this sentence is acceptable to us because it's exactly what God wanted. And so why is it ultimately that God is to be praised? Look at, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. The answer to the question, well, why? Why is God worthy of praise? Why is it that our hearts should be filled with praise, our lips should speak praise? It's that because in and through Jesus Christ, God has done something for us. God has done something for us. So when I answer the question, why? Why are we to praise God? Look at that word, blessed. That word now, blessed in the Greek where it says, he has blessed us. Now it's no longer an adjective. This is, this is a, a verb and we're the object of the action. Paul's coming and saying, God is to be blessed because he has blessed you. You're to praise God and, and God is worthy of praise because he has done something to you. This is, this is why God is to be praised. He's done something to and for us. And what is it that God has done for us, church? Like, what is it that he's done? Well, and by the way, I'm going to slow play this all, all morning, right? We're going to build and build. What has he done for us? Paul says that he has given us, did you see it in the text? Spiritual blessings. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. This is what God has done for us. God has given us, according to Paul, spiritual blessings. We are individually and collectively recipients of these things, which Paul calls spiritual blessings. And he says, whatever the spiritual blessings are, and we're going to get to it, trust me, whatever they are, they're so significant that because you have received them, because God has given them to you, you should be considered a blessed person. That's how significant these spiritual blessings are. But I want to make two observations before we actually look at what they are. The first observation is this. I want to look at the extent of the blessings. He says that he's given us spiritual blessings, but church, how many spiritual blessings, according to the text, have we received? Does he give? Everyone. Every single one. Every spiritual blessing. Blessed be the God and Father who has blessed us in Christ with how many? Every spiritual blessing. Whatever these spiritual blessings are that God gives us in and through Jesus Christ, he gives us all of them. He gives us all of them. When I was in junior high and high school, my brothers and I would often go to sporting events and we would, 
We'd bring our own money to go ahead and to purchase treats, if you will, nachos, french fries, ice cream, popcorn, when we go to these sporting events. And because money was precious to a junior high and high schooler, when you bought those nachos or you bought those fries, you were just ecstatic to, to sit down to watch the game and to eat those things because they were your nachos. They were your fries. But inevitably, we'd be sitting next to one another, and do you know what we would say to each other as siblings, as brothers? Can I have one? <laughs> Now, because we grew up in a good Christian home, we would, we would do this. We would say, sure, you can have just one, right? That was the typical response. This is my blessing, okay? My nachos. I'll let you have some, but just one. Like, that was what we said to each other all the time. With God, though, look at what it says. He's not holding back his nachos and fries here. <laughs> this... This little phrase speaks to a God who is abundantly generous. Whatever we can say about God, when you come to a passage like this, when it says that he gives us spiritual blessings, we're talking about a God who is generous. He doesn't hold back. He gives us all of these spiritual blessings. Do you believe your God is generous? Can I get an amen? Amen. He is so generous. This is a small picture of it. But notice as well, this is, this is really remarkable. Where do these blessings come from? Or at least where are they located? To be more specific, what's the nature of these blessings? What's the nature of these blessings? You see, because Paul comes to us and he says that they come from the heavenly places. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And what, what does that mean? Notice he doesn't say the spiritual places. He says, from the heavenly places. He's telling us that these blessings come from the place where God resides. They come from God himself. They come from him to us. What he's pointing us to here is something that we need to see and understand. These spiritual blessings that we receive are supernatural. They're outside of nature. They're outside of what you or I could create, what you or I could obtain by ourselves. To say that they're in the heavenly places is Paul coming and saying, these are very unique blessings. They're so special because they're supernatural. They're not of the natural world. It doesn't mean that they don't impact us in the natural world as the rest of this book is gonna show us. They absolutely do. But they come from the dwelling of God. They are supernatural in their, their nature. That's what makes these blessings so remarkable. They show us the generosity of God that he gives us every single one and that they come from God. So church, what are these spiritual blessings? Before we look at them, I want us to remember, what did Paul say? What did Paul say about these blessings? He said, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because he's given us these blessings. He is worthy of your praise. He's worthy of your adoration. Paul is telling us <clears throat> that whatever these spiritual blessings are, once you actually know them and understand them, they should move you to praise and worship of him. In fact, let me be so bold as to say, if... When we see what these blessings are, our hearts are not moved towards praise and adoration of God, then that means that either one, you were like me on my birthday when I received that check and I'm still failing to understand the profound nature of what that gift actually was. 
So part of the reason why we might not be moved to praise and worship is that we still are failing to really grasp and understand the magnitude of the gift, the spiritual blessings that we received, or, or we have created an image of God in our minds that unless God fits that image and fits our criteria for who he should be, well, then we can't give him praise. That in and of itself isn't a good place to be. I was reminded this week of that famous, well, scientist, Nicholas Copernicus. Do you guys remember him? <laughs> he lived a long time ago. If you knew him personally, then we have some issues. Copernicus, right? He was the man who had this audacious idea, you know, because the science had been right for thousands of years up to Copernicus, right? The science had said that, well, the universe revolved around the earth. For all these years, that's what scientists believe. And then Copernicus comes along and he says, hey, just gonna throw this out there. Maybe, <clears throat> maybe our universe, our planet, maybe actually we revolve around the what? The sun. The Copernican revolution is ultimately what happened. Today, we're gonna see here in this spiritual blessing that we don't want to be like a previous generation before Copernicus that, that had a faulty understanding of who God is. Instead, we want to be able to come and to see him in the fullness of how he's revealed himself to be. And so what is the spiritual blessing that Paul ultimately points us to? In this text, we're going to look at the first of three. Because in verses 3 through 14, Paul actually enumerates kind of three spiritual blessings with lots of facets, just like a diamond. But we're only going to have time to look at the first one, which is in verses 3 through 6. And so here it is. Paul writes, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ for adoption to himself through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In these monumental verses, Paul comes and he says, you want to know the nature of these spiritual blessings in their fullness. You want to know what these spiritual blessings are. The first one that Paul draws our attention to is this. You, he says to the believers, you have been chosen by God the Father to be a part of God's family. Here is the reason for which God should always receive our praise and our worship, why we should be overwhelmed with joy in our hearts. Paul says, do you know this about yourself? You have been chosen by God the Father to be a part of God's family. In these verses, this is what Paul sets forth that all followers of Jesus Christ are a part of God's family. And ultimately, this took place by God the Father acting on our behalf. Out of all the things that Paul could have started with, out of all the things that Paul could have drawn our attention to, out of all the things that Paul could have said, this is why your heart should be moved to praise, he starts with this. One theologian in writing about this passage said this, and I don't think he's that far off. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child. 
having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means he does not understand Christianity very well at all for everything that Christ taught, everything that makes the New Testament new and better than the old, everything that is distinctly Christian as opposed to merely Jewish is summed up in the knowledge of the fatherhood of God. Father is the Christian name for God. Church, I want to show you that there is nothing greater, more precious and profound, nothing more life-altering for any human being that has ever lived than for this to be true of them. To know God as Father, to be a part of God's family, is not only precious and profound, it is more necessary than anything else in this world for you. You see, to understand why this is such a great spiritual blessing, why Paul starts here, we have to remind ourselves, I think, of three very simple things. You're not going to have the ability to write these things down. We should know them already because we often review them. But to get at the profound nature and the preciousness of God choosing you to be a part of his family, we need to remember that, church, we were created to exist in relationship with God as our Father. We were created to exist in relationship with God as our Father. To have God as your Father, to be in an unbroken relationship with Him is what you and I were made for. As a branch needs a tree. As a fish needs the sea. You and I need an unbroken relationship with God. Every branch on that tree is alive and has life because of its connection to the trunk of the tree. To see ourselves from the beginning would have been to see ourselves as created to be connected to God as our Father. It's where life for us is to be found as a branch's life is to be found in the trunk of the tree. But here's the reality. That relationship was broken because we rejected God and went our own way. We were made for this relationship, yet it is broken because we rejected God. Sin is a part of our lives. Humanity no longer has relationship with God. And so each and every human being who is outside of that life-giving relationship with the Father is like a tree branch that has fallen from a tree. It's dying or it's already dead. To see a fish on the deck of a ship inside of the sea, outside of the sea, you know that that fish isn't long for the world. Our condition as humanity because of sin and our rejection of God, because of that broken relationship, we're dead, we're without life. Life is only found with God as our Father. Outside of having Him as Father, there's nothing to be found. And here's where things get even worse. Even if we wanted to, even if we wanted to, because of sin's power over us, we can do nothing to restore that relationship. So like what we've just said here is that if God's not your father, 
You're dead and dying with no hope in this world. And not only that, you can't get back into that relationship on your own. We are a tragic race. Not only can we not get back to him, we do not even deserve to get back to him. But while this is, the, this is the context in which Paul is writing these things, this is the context of all of our life, look at what Paul comes and does here. He says, you want to know why you should praise God, why he is to be blessed by your lips forever. Because the God who made the world, the God who rules all, the God who owns all, who lacks absolutely nothing, the God whom we have rejected and turned from and rebelled against, who is right and justified to leave us to die in eternal death, Paul says he brings you back into his family. It's because of God and his action on our behalf that Paul says you and I become his children. And what does that mean then? It means life is found. It means joy is found. It means hope is found. All the death and the carnage of being separated from God, that's no longer true of us. Because why? We're a part of his family. But notice, Paul goes out of his way in this text to use three very purposeful words to make this point abundantly clear that it is because he chose you that you have become a part of his family. The very first time that we see that is right there. It's right there in the text. It says that even as he what? Chose us in him. This word for God choosing us is the simple Greek word that speaks to selecting someone or selecting something. It's used throughout the New Testament. Jesus uses it when he describes selecting his disciples. Look at this, Luke 6, 13. And when day came, he called his disciples and he chose from them, there were a multitude of disciples, 12 whom he named apostles. In John 15, 16, he said, you did not choose me, but I what? Chose you. Speaking to those disciples, how did I become a disciple? How did I become an apostle? If, if you were to ask those apostles that question, they would have said, well, because God chose me. Jesus chose me. Paul would use it in this way in 1 Corinthians 1.27. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the, the strong. When Paul says that God chose us, what he's saying is that you and I were intentionally selected. Intentionally selected. God wasn't willy-nilly here. Every time the word is used, there's intentionality in the selection. God comes to us and says, I know who you are. I know what you have done. But I have chosen you. And what have I chosen you to be? My child. Brought into my family. To say that God chose us to be a part of his family is to say that God knew exactly what he was doing. I love that Paul uses that word. Because 
I can begin to wonder, did God really want me to, to be a part of his family? Do I really belong here? By using this word, by, by speaking of it in the terms that he does, he wants, he wants your mind and my mind to be absolutely clear. Yes, God, God chose you and he wanted you. There was, there, was, there was no second guessing here. And then this point is reinforced. Look at the other word that he uses in verse five. It says, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. The word here, predestined, is only used in the New Testament six times. And when it's used, it's simply used to refer to that which is predetermined. God was not only intentional in his selection, church, it was part of his plan. So when you see the word here, predestined, what we're being told is, listen, your being chosen by God, intentionally selected by him. It was part of his plan. This was something that he had known that he would always do. This is again reinforced. Look at how Paul talks about it. He says that all of this was according to the purpose of his will. Did you see that in verse five? Boy, church, this is a good thing to know that it was God's will for you that it was God's will that you would be a part of his family. You know why that's so important? Because no one can thwart God's will. No one can keep God from doing the things that he determines to do. Hallelujah for that, amen? amen. I mean, then why would we pray? How could we worship him? If something could thwart the will of God, if God could set forth a plan and then all of a sudden say, whoa, this is getting a little too difficult for me, that is not a God worthy of praise. Yet when Paul says it was according to the purpose of his will, that immediately should heighten our minds in our hearts to say, oh man, if this was part of God's plan, then it means that he was intentional in his selection, but it also means that nothing was ever going to thwart that plan. In fact, look down at verse 11. We're going to see this next week. It says, in him, referring to Christ, we have obtained an inheritance, having been, again, predestined, he says it twice, predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his what? Will. God has worked in your life. How can, can people who he will say in Ephesians chapter two were dead in their trespasses and sins, were called the sons of disobedience there in verse two of chapter two. How can people like that become a part of God's family? Well, nothing's too difficult for God. He chose you. It was part of his plan that he would make you a part of his family. We're going to eventually get to it probably next year, but no, seriously. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8, Paul's going to talk about all of this being a part of God's will to make known what he had planned from the beginning. In fact, look at this. In case you're really wondering, like, like... Has this always been part of God's plan to bring people who had rebelled against him back into his family? I skipped over it and I did it intentionally. Did you see when God chose us? Did you see when Paul said he chose to make you a part of his family? Look back at verse four. He chose us in him before, what? The foundation of the world. When had God chosen to make you a part of his family? before he ever said, let there be light. Nothing that's ever happened in all of human history surprised God. Did you know that? 
God has never been up in heaven and thought, they did what with who, how? It was no surprise to God that Jesus Christ would come and die and do the work necessary to save us. All of that, he says, was part of God's plan before the world was made. How spectacular. Before I ever took my breath, before you were ever born, God already knew the flow of human history and God knew that he would choose you to be his child. He did not wait till you were born to see how you would turn out to think, hmm, is that one a candidate? Let's just, let's just you know, put it in that pile over there. Let's see how it turns out. Next, God wasn't doing that with humanity. Church, this text is revealing some things to us about God. It's revealing to us a God who is so generous that he gives us every spiritual blessing. It's revealing to us a God who is so powerful because he is working all things according to the purpose of his will and his will is never thwarted. It's showing us the sovereignty of God. But then Paul uses one more word here to, to show not just the character of God, but the nature of what God has done for us. Look at verse five. It says, he predestined us for what? Adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. Paul finally comes and he says, I want to illustrate what this choosing of you, this predestining of you, this, this calling you into his family, ultimately what it, what it looks like so that you can wrap your minds around it. He, he compares it here to adoption. To say that God has predestined us for adoption is him coming and telling us that God chooses us and brings us into his family, but also in his choosing of us, our status has changed forever. I so love that God helps simple creatures like us try and understand these very mind-blowing ideas of being chosen before the foundation of the world to be a part of his family by working in this illustration of adoption. For, for me and my family, Adoption isn't something that's just conceptual for us. It's something that is very much a reality. When I read these passages, I, I am brought in personally into the text in a very profound way because our youngest daughter is adopted. And so the concept of adoption for us that Paul lays out here, the reality of adoption being something that illustrates that you can't choose your family but that God chooses you. The illustration that when you are adopted, your status has changed forever. Like when, when Hannah and I had decided that we would adopt, we came to our now daughter, Cece, and, and there was a time in her life that when she was born, she was not born into our family. She was born to someone who ultimately could not take care of her. And because they couldn't do that, those individuals, their parental rights were removed from them. And so think about this. Have you ever thought about this? A child who's being adopted? There is a time in their life when they are family-less. Literally, they have no family but themselves. And that was the condition of our daughter. She was family-less until when? Until what? She wasn't sitting there as a baby flipping through pictures and saying, you know what? Oh, look at the Joneses. That looks like a nice family. What do you think? Should I join them? Can I be a part of the... Oh, Bill and Melinda Gates. Now there's a family. It looks like they got some resources. 
Someone who is familyless can't pick and choose the family that they want to be a part of. God could have used a lot of ways to illustrate how God the Father chooses us, but he chooses to use the illustration of a family. No, how did Cece be, go from familyless to having a family? We had to go to her, and we had to say, Cece, and she didn't even understand it at the time, kind of like we don't really understand the fullness of it. And now she knows it more. We went to her and we said, you are going to be a part of the Wajanicki family. And she was made a part of our family. She went from being alone with, without a family to, to having a family, to having the love and the care of a father and a mother. But not only that, her status changed from familyless to having a family, from from not having a family to being a, a Wajniki, from not having people who could care for her, for, for having resources and abilities that she otherwise would never possibly have with the condition she was formerly in. Listen, when God comes to us and he says that he chose us, he predestined us, it was part of his plan that we would be brought into his family. This is him speaking to the fact that he would change our status forever. And it was a work that only he could, could do. And when he changes our status, look at what we receive. Like, it was wonderful that Cece could become a part of our family, but I'm telling you, being a part of God's family is way better. Look at what he says back here. He says, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. Your status by being a part of God's family means that now, because your father is holy and perfect and righteous, you can't be in his family unless you too are also, guess what? Holy and perfect and righteous in him. And so Paul says, don't you know what has happened to you? It's why he started his letter by referring to the saints who are in Ephesus. Because when God adopts you and brings you into his family, you are made holy and blameless. If you are part of God's family, this is who you are. You are someone identified by your father as holy and blameless. In chapter two, he's gonna compare us to the sons of disobedience. He's gonna say previously you were the objects of wrath. That's not who you and I are, are anymore. We are those who have received the love and the affection of the father. And guess what? are now and forever holy and blameless before him. This is, this is what's taken place in your life and in my life. And, and here's, here's something even more profound. Not only are we holy and blameless, but we are secure. Because God is the eternal father, your status will never change. Did you know that? Once you are adopted into God's family, if he's chosen you and brought you in, you're never gonna get kicked out. I mean, my dear daughter Cece is about as perfect as you can get. No, I'm kidding, right? She's not. Like any child, she's disobedient. The first time that she really did something is probably a three-year-old in direct disobedience to me. Do you think I looked at her and said, that's it, you're out of here. That's not what watch Nikki's do. No. Her status did not change because her status was conditioned upon me being her father, not her doing something to earn my love, favor, and affection. And trust me, that's not the only time that she ever disobeyed. <laughs> that's why Jesus would say, treasure this verse that I'm about to read to you. 
In John 6, 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never, what? Cast out. Do you hear what Jesus says? When the Father gives to the Son those whom he has chosen to be a part of his family, Jesus says, whoever comes to me, you come to me because the Father gave you to me, I will never cast you out. Do you believe that? Do you believe that this is the kind of Father that you have? Because you do. Because we do. Because he doesn't make mistakes. And so when he chooses you and he makes you holy and blameless, this is who you are and this is who you are forever. The only reason why you shouldn't wake up in the morning saying, oh Lord, praise be to your name, is because you have failed to understand this truth or because you just simply don't know it. When you leave this building today, you have a father who goes with you out into the world and he will never cast you out. You have one person in your life who looks at you through his son Jesus Christ and says, holy and blameless, Holy and blameless. This is, this is what God has done. You want to know the spiritual? This is just the first of the spiritual blessings that we're going to see in this text. And you know why he did it all? Look at why he did it all. It's just right there. It says, to the praise of his glorious grace. The purpose of these spiritual blessings, so we, we receive these spiritual blessings, but the purpose of them is to display his glory through love, through an act of love for you and I to know how glorious and wonderful he is. He is, he is driven here in his love for us. Chapter two, we're gonna, we're gonna see this. He has love for us, but the purpose of his love is so that you and I would step away from that and say, there is only one who I should live for. There's only one whom I should praise, and it is this God. Praise be to his name, both now and forever. Amen? To be a part of God's family, to know Christ as your Savior, to have your sins forgiven, to believe on Jesus Christ, is to know that God has chosen you. Listen, I know that for some, and in coming weeks we're going to talk about this a little bit more, this idea for some is actually, it's a bit of a struggle. It, it can cause some questions. I find it very striking that Paul doesn't try to explain the other parts of what this might mean at all in the text. He says, just focus on the fact that you have been chosen and loved by him. You see, because Jesus makes this statement, come to me, all you who are weary, heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest, right? There's a call to come to Jesus. One person has illustrated it this way. To understand this truth is to understand that from our perspective, we hear the call to believe and to trust in Jesus, to have sins forgiven. And so picture, if you will, a, a door. And on the outside of that door is that call. Come to me, all you who are weary, heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And you say, well, I'm going to respond to that call. And then when you walk through that door, who are you greeted by? You're greeted by God the Father. And he says, now turn around. And you look, and on the other side of the door, it says, and he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. From our perspective, it looks like we're coming and we're responding to this call. On the other side, God the Father says, I was waiting for you all along because my plan was to save you, to redeem you, to make you holy. I was with you when you struggled, when you walked along the way. 
I brought someone to you who shared the gospel with you so that you would hear and ultimately believe and that you would be saved, and I did all of that as an act of love to display my glory to you. Come into my rest. Know me forever as the Father who loves you and who cares for you. That's who our God is. Praise be to his name, amen? Let's pray. Father, as we come to you, Lord, I'm not flippant. We are never flippant when we say it that we can call you as Father because you invite us to that. We just saw today that the very fact that we can call you as Father is not because there's anything good in David Wojnicki or any of us here. It's not because we worked harder than others. It's because, Father, out of your grace and your mercy, you chose us to be a part of your family when we could not, and that is the blessing that you lavish upon us. And so, Lord, we want to understand in the fullness every single day what these spiritual blessings truly mean so there's not one moment of one day that even in the hardships and struggles of life, we would not say, praise be to your name both now and forevermore. Lord, we love you because you first loved us. Let us walk in your love. Let us embrace your love. And let us be a people who are holy and blameless because that's who you have made us to be. Through Christ our Savior we pray this. And all God's people said, amen and amen.